0: Sports Sportsnet 590. The fan, bananas Gunning. Nice little start for your Toronto Raptors. one to know after a 97-94 win over the Minnesota Timberwolves and Darko Ryakovich? He's 1-0. Coach Darko, yeah. I know and, who you're talking about. It, it's, like, it's not, it's not intent to kumpo. Like, it's no, the thing about a Tentacumpo
1: is there's like there's a rhythm to it and I, well, I'm just not ready. We'll okay. get okay. there. All right. When hmm, should I put a win total on it? When they win 43 oh, games. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when go they higher. surpass last yeah. year's total. Yes. 42nd win. Let's do that. Okay. Coach Darko. All right, uh yeah, Raptors had uh, 27 assists on Thirty-six made field goals. Should so we, there was... should I maybe
1: ask Alvin if that makes me sound like a hack? Because
0: when you tell, I feel like you do have you're... to ask him. I can tell you. Yeah, no, no.
1: It makes you sound no, like but a I hack. Don't, I don't care what you think. Okay, as much. Yeah, no, that's no, fair. I qualified it at the end. No, there.
0: that's that... <laughs> <laughs> at all. <laughs> all right, uh, but yeah, they had a bunch of assists, and Pascal was six, Scotty Barnes at five, and Dennis Schroeder had had seven. That's one of the indicators that this team is team sharing ball. the ball a little bit more and. Darko Royakovich, Coach Darko, as you may know him, after the game talked about, hey, yeah, no, we're we're still acclimatizing to this new way that we're going to play offense, especially in the half court, because half court was ugly. Guess what? Yeah. Raptors' half court offense is never going to look beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I, I find it hard to believe that they're going to be an above average half court offense. It looked pretty damn similar, though, to a year ago as far as its efficiency. All good, though, because they played great defense and scored in transition. It is a growing process in, in playing the way that Darko Royakovich wants them to play, but it's good as far as getting the equity of one win in the bank that there are not questions already about whether this team can do it. I would say it's also pretty important for Dennis Schroeder, the face of what little turnover there was mm-hmm. in on this Raptors team, to come out of the gate as strong as he did. 8 is 17 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3, not that, like, People would already start comparing his performance to Fred Van Vliet's, but I will do it. Uh, he's making so much less, and he's through one game providing just as much as the Raptors could have expected out of the point guard position. Yeah, I
1: made the point just stylistically how different it is. I mean, Fred and Kyle played one way, and Dennis Schroeder plays the game a very, very at a very, very different speed. Just from that standpoint alone, it, it jumped out. You know, the more I was thinking about it, the Timberwolves are kind of the perfect team for the Raptors to play on on opening night. They are good so that the win feels, oh, yeah, hey, legit. They, you accomplished something. That's playoff team. They, You know, Team USA guys and Cat and Anthony Edwards, and you feel good about it, but... It was also that if the result went the other way, you could say, ah, you know, they're a capable team, but they're also gettable. Like that yeah. is a gettable team. As you saw, they were able to take advantage of it. So just from a scheduling standpoint, it was really the needle was threaded perfectly for you and you took advantage of it because that, that team, it also had, you know, we know the NBA isn't built with like, you know, twin towers of two seven footers anymore, but size has always been an issue for the Raptors kind of in this recent run. And the fact that they have a team that has size in spades and not say it didn't give them problems at times. It certainly did. But the fact that they were over to able to overcome that as well, it does. I'm not going to say it bodes well for them. It's one game, but it was nice to see him kind of check that box for sure.
0: Yeah. And yeah, he was three of three from the field, but it was uh, precious Achua playing that, uh, that small ball uh, five position, closing the game four of nine with the, with the eight points as well. Against uh, some larger players on the inside that was impressive. So Back to Dennis Schroeder for a second. Yeah, for sure. I think of him um, as the guy with always something going on with his hair. Now, he started the Mm -hmm. season with nothing, (laughs) like, just totally normal. Right. Which I think is an interesting move, and I think it's a smart move. you got to build equity. If you're the one, (laughs) the new guy, and with the, like, look at me, weird, white, flash in my hair to start this typically
1: gone with it's like
0: a blonde just patch right i think what he's doing like you're doing with not saying ryakovich until win 42 is like (laughs) he has to build equity with quality performances before he says okay yeah the thing i'm known for i'm gonna get back to that but i can't be the guy that's joining the new team with you know, some expectations and I'm replacing a franchise icon and a former all-star and I've got the weird Mm. hair and I don't get off to a strong start. Like you have to kind of ease into that. Here's my prediction. Mm. By the all-star break, Dennis Schroeder has the weird thing in his hair again.
1: He might have red hair. I actually do think if I was him, maybe that's the route I would have gone. The exact opposite of what you're suggesting here. Again, he's, he is not Fred Van Vliet. He is not Kyle Lowry. He is a different player. He is a different person. Different stage of his life. Different stage of his career. All of that. Be who you are. He mm. should have come in, forget with the blonde thing in his hair. He should just have red hair or something along those lines. If he's gonna if we're gonna do the hair index with Schroeder, I would have actually
0: felt way better if he would have came in with that is so not a hockey take from you. Like no, I, I know. think I think Dennis Schroeder. Because Schreuder... people
1: think I have broken hockey brains. Yeah. Shout out to Mark and no, Picton.
0: No, you're being too obvious, pushing against your hockey man identity. I No, think... but I want
1: I want you to be who you are. If if Mitch Marner shows up to the rink <laughs> in red hair, yeah, I'm gonna lose my mind. I have some <laughs> opinions on the matter, okay? But Dennis
0: Schroeder? Go for it. Blue hair when it's Huskies Night, should they ever do just, that again? I wonder. Give if that, it to if me. that's part of it, too, Dennis Schroeder's like, I'm going to Hockey Town. All right. I got it. I heard <laughs> this, this Brent Gunning guy had some bad things <laughs> to say about Joey Vado. I better not I better not get on his bad side. Yeah, he's Mr. Team player, though. Leader of a, a German squad that surprised everybody at the FIBA World Cup. Yeah. And, and he's going to be asked to, to be the distributor on a team that's going to be asked to distribute more. And Early returns are that he's doing just that with the the seven assists. And again, like he, he took mm, uh, as many field goal attempts as any Raptors player did seventeen. Pascal Siakam also took seventeen. Schroeder was eight of seventeen, four of eight from three. Pa- uh, Pascal was great uh, from three as well. He was three of five, but it didn't it didn't feel at all like Schroeder was looking for a shot. There was like maybe one time in transition mm-hmm. where he took a three that I was like, oh, that's not necessarily in rhythm, but. Just overall, it felt like the offense came naturally to him. Yeah,
1: no, it didn't feel like he was forcing anything. Uh, With Siakam, it felt like, and again, we'll talk to Alvin in a second here. He'll have have a little more insight on this. But the idea of... You know, it felt like Pascal still had to be that guy to kind of bail the wraps out when they got late in shot clock of him having to force up a bad shot where it felt like other players were just getting better looks. Now, part of that is that's what happens when you're the lead dog on a team and you have to deal with the pressures that come with that. And we've had these conversations before. We'll have them again. But yeah, the the 17 shots from Pascal and the 17 from Schroeder, they felt very, very different. And I don't say that as a knock on Siakam. That's what he's supposed to do is take the tough shots. You would have liked him to have made a couple more, but uh, yeah, them's the breaks and- in terms of field
0: goals. Uh, Chris Boucher had uh, no field goal attempts because he didn't play in the game. Uh, he was a DMPCD. CD. After mm. being a big part of this Raptors rotation at the early stages, he is the odd man out. We'll see how long that continues, but uh, not in Darko Ryakovich's rotation to start the season. Time now for our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley North Lexus dot com. Today's insider is Alvin Williams. You may know him from yesterday's Raptors broadcast, but also from the promo that runs nonstop. Scotty B, Spicy P. I, I can't, I can't escape you, Alvin. You're on my television all the time. <laughs> I hope, I hope you I don't get, you don't get tired of me, man. Never. You know how that happens. No, no, no. I could never get sick of you and that promo. Um. So early returns. Uh, Darko Ryakovic's system and the idea that they're going to share the ball more and and create quicker passing. What what did you make of of the debut yesterday?
2: Um, I thought they did an excellent job of you know trying to implement the style and the philosophy. And it's tough because once if you're used to a certain style for so many years and just the natural way the game is played and just the, the psychology of players, it's not always easy to pass, pass, move, and things like that. But the Raptors did a good job, I think, in transition. They were looking for one another. And once you look for one another, you know, people run harder. They cut faster. They do a lot of things to provide those outlets so passes can be made. So I believe they're really committed to the system and the style. And I thought they did a really, really good job. And then at the end, they had the ball in the right people's hands to make plays and and things happen like that. So I, I thought they did a really nice job for game one. Yeah,
1: this team's able to score when they when they get stops and they get out running. I mean, that goes for, for a lot of teams in in the NBA. I, I just wonder how how much different we expect the half court to look. And, you know, they, they had their issues there last night as well. And so much of the uh, what people point to with that is the lack of spacing. Kind of a weird thing to talk about when the team shot 40% from deep, which we all would sign up for pretty, pretty much every night. But do you think the lack of spacing is, is going to hurt them again in terms of the half court offense? Or is there something else you, you see as... Is, a, is an issue why the Raps might struggle there?
2: You know, sometimes. You know, if, you, if your shooting isn't consistent, although, as you mentioned, the Raptors did, they shot the ball well. And I also believe the shooting comes from, you know, in the past, you know, the Raptors just shot volumes, right? It's not the fact that they shot the right type of shot and the right person would take the shot. And every, to my, in my mind, everyone can't shoot a three. If you're not a good three-point shooter, then you shouldn't be the guy shooting the three. So... I feel like if the, if the right people are taking a shot and that guys that can make the shots, but also, again, if the Raptors can use their size and, and use their length and all the things that they've had and that's their advantage and they continue still to move without the basketball, any defenses, you're going to be the defense because they're not typically set to guard constant movement, constant screening, constant just cutting and things like that. So, as long as they do that, they'll get those opportunities. If they miss shots, they'll still moving, get offensive rebounds, putbacks, and other opportunities. So I don't care who they are. If you give them two or three opportunities at a shot, they'll eventually make it. So it can be a part, but as long as they stay committed again to the style and philosophy, they'll still be successful, I believe.
0: Doug Royakovich has a great resume, but this is his first opportunity as an NBA head coach. Is it is it important for the Raptors to... To, to get some victories with this new system under a new head coach, considering the lack of track record that there, there, there needs to be... Like, the, 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 the nightmare scenario is that things aren't working out very well and the new systems he's implemented are not resulting in the offensive flow that this team would like, and then maybe you don't have the player buy-in. Like, is, is this early season... Are the early season results for this Raptors team extra important considering Darko Ryakovic is a first-time head coach?
2: Um, I don't know if they're extra important, but of course you want to win. It's so hard to win, you know, in the game. And once you get on that losing streak, and which it does, it does happen. It's the worst thing because you don't have a lot of practice time. You you, you don't have a lot of things where you can get back. You really have to learn on the fly and have to get break the momentum, you know, the losing momentum, you know, during the game. So you, you don't want to get on that losing streak. But yeah, for for a young coach it's important to, you know, stack up the wins, have the team believe. But I believe once again it's his approach. The wins and losses are gonna be there no matter what. But you know, his approach being consistent and every day delivering the message and, and his approach to the players if they lose three or they win two or they lose five and they win four, you know, he has to be consistent of his communication. You know, he has to be consistent with his philosophy and just how he approaches every day. Because if you don't, the players will pick up on that. And the last thing you want as a a leader for the players and the guys, you know, following behind is think you're a fraud. And you're only good when times are going well and you just can't react to when things are going a little challenging. So I think more than just the wins and losses is Darko's approach day in and day out.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I I really love the point you made yesterday Alvin during the broadcast uh, about the system and and maybe one of the drawbacks because I I think of a quick passing offense is yeah you're going to turn the ball over a little bit more and the the Raptors did have 14 turnovers but I hadn't considered the fact that it's tougher to recognize mismatches when you're just thinking about the next pass like how do you how do you counter that like how do you how do you make yourself aware of, of a potential mismatch when you're thinking about getting rid of the ball in a half a second.
2: You know, it's hard. You're not really thinking of it. You're thinking of, you know, you know they, they preach with the .5 offense that you're hearing a lot now is, you know, you catch it, you drive it, you either shoot it or you pass it. So it's not much time to really read when you have the ball. Like, you really have to you know, understand what's the next progression. It's just like a quarterback. Sometimes you might, a person may not be open right away, but you know where they're supposed to be, so you might throw it in that position or that spot. So it's very difficult to start picking and 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 acknowledging different matchups that you may get the opportunity to take advantage of. As you saw in the game early on, Mike Conley was guarding, you know, uh, OG and Anobi. So if there was open those mismatches, so. It's just hard, and I think as the coaching staff, during a game, you have to identify that. So when the time is to call a half-court play or just take advantage of it in a set play, then you can do that. But as far as the flowing offense, the read and react offense, it's very hard to identify because you're not really trying to identify the mismatches. You're just trying to beat the defense with your moving and cutting and your unselfishness.
1: You know, I was going to ask you about the fit between Pascal and Scotty, but just you mentioning this here has me thinking about Scotty specifically is, Is obviously, you know, a different coach is going to have a different way of doing things. But just hearing that, what do you think it could potentially do be it good, be it bad to Scotty Barnes' development? Because, you know, again, we've had this conversation about him of well, you know, some people think the fully formed version of him looks like this. Some people think it looks more as a passer. Some people think it's more of a role man or a post player. If you want him to be that kind of big floor general, you know, obviously the the best possible version is like your, your magic, your LeBron type, and no one's putting that on him. But just that archetype of player does it remove his ability to develop some of those skills if he is in a system that prioritizes passing so quickly where maybe he is not surveying the floor the way a typical kind of point guard or or ball handler would
2: yeah I mean I I really don't think so I think the skill development will come on his own not not on his own but him putting his own work in and then you know when he gets the opportunities whether it's a spot up three and you know off the dribble and stuff like that it'll come in the offense because once again it's a free flowing offense it's a it's one of those organized chaos offense like stuff like that but you know with Scotty in his rookie year I've made a comment a comparison to Giannis Antetokounmpo right and it was I probably should have smacked myself in the face because it was very early <laughs> but I I I was I was saying it with the with the idea of saying he does it all, and you really can't put him on one spot of the floor. He could be a pick-and-roller. He can roll to the basket and catch a lob. He can actually be the ball handler and dribble. He can dive. He's not a great shooter, but he's a, he's learning the game, and he's he's very skilled. So when you have a player like that, you want to maximize his abilities, and his abilities is, is just not one. It's one of those things where a defense, you can't game plan for Scotty. It's just hard to game plan for him because he's in so many areas on the floor. Now, when he gets those opportunities, when he, when he grows more and more his fourth or fifth year, and you want the jump shot to be more consistent, you want that outside shot to be more consistent, then that'll come. But I think right now, you put him in positions where he can maximize his abilities, and I think this offense really can do that.
1: Yeah, on the, on the flip side of that, then, you know, there's been, again, so much talk of, well, how exactly do Pascal and Scotty fit? How do they mesh? Do you think an offense like this that does just prioritize that almost removes that question from the equation? Not to say they won't play off each other, not to say there won't be a two-man game between them at some point in time, but do you think with just the ball moving so much, it kind of eliminates that as such a focal point or, or such a big question in terms of how Pascal and Scotty you know, share the ball or, or play off of one another?
2: Yeah, I mean it does because the onus is not on one person; it's a system. So, you know, in the past, you look at Pascal or be the guy have the ball in his hand and make a play at the end of the game, and and people question, is he that guy? Can he carry a team? And all of those things. When you don't have that that issue. I ultimately believe it's very similar to Demar Derozan when he was in Toronto. He he really had to carry the load. He had to score. And then, you know, when you get to the playoffs and things like that, it's a struggle. It's, it's harder to do that. He goes to San Antonio talking about DeMar. I believe he truly became a better basketball player. Like the San Antonio system who's been, is very similar. A lot of teams stole that style. You know, Golden State Warriors, moving the ball, pass the ball, things like that. DeMar became a much better player. And I believe the same thing with Pascal. He's been so used to having the ball in his hands and making plays and just developing to that player. Now you're learning a different style. Now you're becoming a whole different type of player. And once you have that element where he can go and get his own, and he also can move without the basketball, he also can run the floor, he also can handle the ball and pass and find others. So he's just becoming a better basketball player. And the more and more they play together and everyone, you know, just starts fitting into the system and people, once again, believe in it. I think ultimately it's just a win-win for everybody. And
0: he only played 34 minutes yesterday. Uh, O.J. Ananobi also playing 34. Uh, Scotty Barnes, 37. But uh, Darko Ryakovich, he, he ran 10 players out there. It was a nine-man rotation, though, which is dissimilar uh, than what we're used to seeing under under Nick Nurse. Now, Malachi Flynn only played 10, and he was a minus 14 and took four fouls uh, over that span as well. Hit the one three that he took. I, I think he's the, the guy that if you're looking at the extend, a, expanded rotation that this Raptors team is going to field at, at points this season, it, it, he's the guy that I think I'm least sure of. What what do you make of his potential to stick as a member of, of, of this rotation? Obviously, it's just one game, but yeah, that, w- that was a tough start for Malachi.
2: Yeah, the course of the game, the course of the season is, is tough, man, because it's just, you know, it's so many games. You never know. Through injury, you never know through opportunities when they're going to come. So I, I believe again, if you're not the guy that's going to have the ball in the hand and gives the opportunity to to make plays and, and like that on a consistent level, and you just have to fit into the system, Malachi just has to do that because you're not going to pretty much shine all of the time. So it's one of those things where you got Scotty the ball handler, you got you got Pascal, you got Dennis, you got. So many people that also can handle the basketball, you really have to fit in and learn how to play the system. You have to learn how to come off screens. You gotta do dribble handoffs, you gotta back cut, you gotta space out. And Malachi just has to, you know, start filling that role. I made a I made another comparison with Malachi and myself. I remember, you know, having struggles under Butch Carter as the coach. You know, I just didn't play well and you know, it just wasn't a good fit for me at the time. It just it was just inconsistent play. And then we got a new coach in Lenny Wilkins. And he gave me those opportunities and he let me play through my mistakes. And I just became a better basketball player, more confident. And my teammates became confident in me. So I'm hoping he's in that situation with a new coach, but it's going to be up to him. It's going to be up to him how he, you know, fits that fits into the system, how his defense looks, and how he's not a liability on the floor. So it's going to be an opportunity for him, but it's also going to be challenging because the Raptors have a lot of guys that can play those positions and play that role. So he's going to have to still find his niche and, and get in there and, and execute and, and play hard every time he gets on the floor.
1: Yeah, it'll certainly be something uh, worth worth watching. Uh, before we let you, get you out of here, Alvin, uh, we have to ask you about, you know, your real favorite basketball team, the 76ers. I know how you love your Philly sports, uh, so we have to ask you about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It.
2: Oh, yeah, I know, sure. I know. I'm so disappointed the Phillies lost and the Eagles (laughs) lost to the Jets. I'm so disappointed. But go ahead. Let me
1: know. Well, I was just going to say there's a chance for that to turn into a dumpster fire with Nick Nurse there. Not that it'd be his fault, but we see everything that's happening with Harden. If it doesn't work out well with Harden, we know how quickly it could possibly turn with uh, Embiid. What do you expect to unfold? Or if you want, you can just laugh and take shots at Philly and the 76ers right now. Whatever route you want to take. Answer the question or have a little fun. Dealers choice, Alvin.
2: So, so I'll, I'll do it as a sixth, as, as a Philadelphia resident, and the Philadelphia seventy sixers, they've been having these type of struggles for how many years now? You know, whether it's with Ben Simmons and it's it's all of the things. So it's something there that is a lack of communication or there's a lack of structure where it's conducive to a players and management relationship. It's not. It's never like the teammates. It's never the city. It's never. It's always management. It's always something else with a player, and they're just not happy there. And it's not just any player. It's it's their stars. You know, you make a lot of commitments to these guys. You draft Ben Simmons, and you 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 trade a lot for 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 Harden, and you just can't get it right. It's just one of those things, and it's a lot of frustration there. But. You know the Citrus, They still have the big fella Joel Embiid. They still have a young guy in Tyrese Maxey who's 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 right on the edge of being a star. He he's a heck of a player that can change the game. And you have your your consummate pro and Tobias Harris. So Nick Nurse is there. He got it. he has his hands full. He has his hands full with the personality. And again, <laughs> I feel like the leadership amongst the players is just not there. And that's the one thing. Like, you got to have some type of leadership. You got to have somebody that's going to take accountability from the player's standpoint before anything happens. And the players just haven't had that. They just haven't had someone that can galvanize that locker room. They haven't had anyone that can just take a bull by, by the horns and say, all right, follow my lead. Maybe. As good as Joel is i just don't know if he's that person
1: well i was just gonna say maybe maybe they should have paid jimmy butler instead of tobias harris and maybe they would have had that guy in the locker room just maybe alvin
2: okay. <laughs> but, well you know maybe maybe that 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 that's a heck of a maybe because you know they offered tobias the five year and only offered jimmy butler the four years mm-hmm. and that, that would i think i think the other way would have would have been good it would have been a much better because that was a hell of a team
0: yeah it was jimmy
2: butler there that, that's a hell of a team, and that's a team that could have went to the finals. And that was on, you know, them played together for a half a year that year. They all got there on the trade deadline, so that that was that was something in hindsight, you know. And maybe if you didn't draft Mark, you know what? I'm not going to bash him. I'm not going to. I'll, I'll be quiet. Yeah, no, the, the, yeah, they could have won a championship
0: considering it went down to a, a quadruple rim bounce against the, the Raptors and Kawhi Leonard. And, I mean, anybody that watched that series obviously understood Jimmy Butler was the scariest guy on the court for the Sixers. But, yeah, wave goodbye smartly. I'm glad to know that Philly fans are back, though, Alvin, because we, I talked about maybe them getting... Soft, the way they kept cheering Trey Turner, the the, the the Philly shortstop, when he was having the struggles during the regular season. and They were so happy with everything that was happening during the Phillies season and then the, the postseason. And then I saw some videos of the Philly fans leaving the ballpark after their Game 7 loss. They're all the way back. They're back to hating that team and hating everything about Philly sports.
2: Well, well, as long as they're not burning down his house like they were trying to burn down Mitch Williams' house oh after he gave God. up the home run to Joe Clark. So... Joe Carter. Joe Carter. So, you know, it's one of those things. Philadelphia, they're not going to go anywhere. They, they're going to mask. They're going to act like uh, wolves in sheep clothing, but they're truly... Oh, <laughs> the
0: uh, yeah. They're, they're Philly fan is going to Philly fan. Uh, Alvin, always appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, guys. See ya. There's Alvin Williams. He was our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit
1: DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Did you think we'd find anyone who hated anything more than me and Joey Votto on this show?
0: No. no that no.
1: that feels like a child's feud compared to Alvin's distaste for Philadelphia sports fans. Yeah, I love it. I, I truly do.
0: No, and maybe people are confused. They're like, Philadelphia is like, he hates all the Philadelphia. He loves Villanova, obviously. obviously. A, <laughs> former... A uh, wildcat. But, yeah, everything else I Philadelphia, could, he hates. I could
1: be wrong, but, like, up here when it's world juniors or college-age kids, we're a little nicer. Do you think maybe they're 1% nicer to Villanova than they are the 76ers or the Phillies, and that's I, why?
0: Yeah, I don't think about them being as vociferous. Yes. Look at you. Thank Good you. Good job, buddy. Where are the day? It was on my calendar. Okay. Uh, Dane Cook's Perfectly Shattered Tour is coming to Casino Rama Resort November 10th. We're giving away tickets all week long. To enter, all you have to do is tune into episodes of the Fan Morning Show. Listen for the code word, then text the code word to 590 uh, 590. Today's code word is stand up. It's a couple of words, but stand up. Text stand up to 590 590 right now to enter for your chance to win. We will be giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow, but if you don't win with us, secure yours at Ticketmaster ca so we've tried to talk about goaltending we've tried to talk to, to scouts about goaltending let's talk to a goaltender about goaltending i don't i i have to be honest
1: i don't know that that's a certainty there any more certain than we are but we should try to get to the
0: bottom of this <laughs> we'll talk to former first round pick goaltender devin dubnik uh currently of uh, nhl network next is the fan morning show continues ben ennis brent gunning sportsnet 590 the fan Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The JD Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sports F59 of the Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Leafs, Stars, Dallas, after 8 o'clock tonight couple more games to go on this season-long five-game road trip for the Toronto Maple Leafs. We assume it's Joseph Ned against Jake Ottinger, a couple of American fellas who know each other well. Uh, today on Sportsnet 1, 4 to 6, you can watch NHL Now with our next guest, Devin Dubnik, former NHL goalie, currently NHL Network analyst. How's it going, Devin?
3: Good, good. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for doing this. I uh, saw you were wearing a uh, Buffalo Bills cap on, on the program the other day. Bills, big game tonight, yep. Thursday night. Or how did you end up a, as a Bills fan? It's not like you're from around these
3: parts. No, you know what? I uh, I mean, I grew up in Canada, so I didn't watch a ton of football um, growing up, but just fell in love with it uh, after being down here. Kind of, you know, I'm a bike fan as well, just, just from living there. Um but just the last few years you know watching watching Bills Mafia watching Josh Allen uh they're just such a fun team i just kind of kind of fell in love watching them and, and uh, became a big fan
1: yeah that's uh it's an interesting little two team tandem you got yeah. there but yeah i see the time you spent in minnesota cuz i was thinking the same thing i'm like did i miss the buffalo stint in your career no yeah. i uh, i did not so yeah it's interesting yeah. and uh, hey man i i always say like I there is nothing that makes me be more endeared well I won't say nothing but one of the things that most endears me to is that an athlete is when they're just a fan of other sports. So I love hearing that. Like I think sometimes we get so used to you guys consuming sport just in terms of the sport you play but I mean, you know, I know Super Bowl parties are big. I know you guys have fantasy leagues. So it's just kinda of funny I think for a lot of people to think of you guys as fans of sports, not just athletes.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I, and kind of going back to that like I I what got me really going on Buffalo was just watching Josh Allen play like I said I love he is a big hunk his his tu- his toughness though like i I know they always talk about they hate when he does it, uh, you know he just doesn't go down he goes he goes and runs and he, <laughs> you know he's he's bigger than everybody on the field, like he takes these hits and they don't want him to take these hits because he's their superstar, but I mean he just can't help it against he's nails,
0: yeah. I, I assume that you're just mentioning you're also a Vikes fan because you're so beloved in Minnesota that you're not actually a sports <laughs> bigamist, right? Like, because you, if you actually do like sports, you can't be like, I like the Bills. I know they're in different
3: conferences, but you're like, no.
0: I, I like the Bills, but also the Vikings. Oh, the Cowboys are good too. No,
3: I know, I know, I hate that. And my brother's <laughs> a Cowboys fan, so I kind of root for them too. But oh my God, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. I'm joking. I, I'm not joking about my brother being a fan, <laughs> but, um, I mean, you, you have to, you, you got to cheer for the hometown team too. Yes. Like you gotta, you gotta root them on, but, um, you know, I, I like watching the bills more. Yeah. But
0: Devin, I get it. You don't I mean, want to pay for a drink in Minnesota. Mic. I understand. Like you have to live in that community. I, I <laughs> the water see, the plant. I, I, I don't it. know if
3: you guys, I don't know if you guys watched quarterback on, on yes, Netflix, I but, did. you know, I, I, I really like Got to. Big appreciation for Kirk Cousins after watching. Too
0: nice, though. Too nice. He's so nice. And God, he endeared himself to me. I'm with you so much. But uh, yeah. And it's not like Patrick Mahomes came off as a jerk. Like he was amazing. And God, the the amount of preparation. But yeah, I I did come away with that thinking maybe Kirk Cousins is a little too nice.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. But I mean, God, like he's he's just, that's who he is. Yep. He is who he is. And,
0: all right, let's talk a little hockey because the Leafs are playing tonight, and there's there's goalie conversations to be had around this Leafs team because they've got a, a young goalie of the future they're hoping in Joseph Wall, who who's taken the reins here as the number one, um, a former a third round pick, but they've got a guy in Ilya Samsonov, who's a former first round pick like yourself, who they acquired uh, off the scrap heap when the Capitals decided not to offer him a contract in restricted free agency. He performs super well. And then instead of getting the contract extension with the Leafs, he has to go on, he has to play under the one-year arbitration deal. Is it possible, I know you, I'm not asking you to like read into his psychology here, but can you imagine what it would be like for him who takes left less to come to Toronto because he sees the path to... to to playing time, gets the playing time, performs well, leads this team to a playoff series victory, and then is not rewarded with a multi-year contract and maybe that impacting his play?
3: It it, it potentially could, and that's something he's going to have to learn. Um, You know, there's all these these different things um, that you go through when it comes to the business side of it, Uh, contract-wise, and some guys handle it differently. I'm not saying that that's that's what's causing this at all. It can it can add to frustration. Um, you know, if you if you are struggling a little bit, it can certainly creep into your mind. Um, you know, like when I different different situation, but when I signed my big deal uh, in mini, I struggled a little bit at the start of the next year because I, I felt like I had to you know ch- change what I was doing because I got this new nice shiny new contract now, and really they signed me to continue to do what I was doing, not to change what I was doing. And I kind of had to get over that hurdle mentally. So not the same thing, but it certainly can be frustrating. You know, it's, this is his life and his career and, and uh, a big opportunity for him to earn some money. And so if he struggles a little bit and that kind of creeps into his head, it can certainly add to the frustration of not playing. But that's that's part of the deal. He's going to have to find a way to get, to get through it, and I'm sure he will. Um, you know, at least in a good spot with two good goalies right now.
1: So, Devin, I think, the you know, it's funny. We talk about goaltending, and so much of the conversations, you know, I tend to have or a lot of people when they're watching goalies is he looks comfortable in there. I see there's an aggressive push. He seems to be going super fast side to side. Someone like yourself, I imagine, a slightly finer-tuned eye on these things. What do you look for when you're looking at a goalie? You know, I'm sure you've heard the stuff about Joe Wall and said, all right, What's so special about this kid? Let me have a look. What is it you look for in a goaltender who's bursting on the scene, or someone you're trying to to evaluate in terms of what it is? Is there kind of one or two things that are are big kind of tempole metrics for you?
3: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think you said that right. Um, you know, you can you can dive into technical stuff, but most of these guys are are pretty darn good. That's why they're there. Um, I like it just watching a guy and and exactly what you said about wall. I mean, he was put into a really difficult situation last year in the playoffs and he looked like he's in control. And that's, that's what I like to look for is in control. Even if a guy gets a shutout, you can watch and see if he's, if he's all over the place and rebounds are popping off of him, And you know, he might just be playing off straight adrenaline and kind of locks out a little bit, you know, he went in there in a difficult situation and was completely under control and looked like it was, you know, it was his game. And he's continued to do that. And that sounds like what his teammates say about him. And that's, and and, you know, that's, that doesn't, you don't have to be a goalie to to watch somebody and understand if that guy's in control of the game or if he's just kind of trying to keep up and, uh, and Wallace certainly is in control.
0: Uh, is it important for, for a team with two goalies that are kind of on similar wavelengths as far as perception to have a pecking order, to have a clear pecking order, to have the head coach say, all right, well, you are our number one to start the season and now you're not our number one? Or is it is it okay to have what it seems like the Leafs have at this point, like two guys that are kind of going start to start?
3: I think it's absolutely okay. Um, I think communication is huge. Um, and you know, that's, that's up to the least coaching staff on, on how they want to do it. But communication is a big part of it. So as long as both of them know, uh, what is going on and kind of what the plan is and whatever that plan is, like I said, that's up to the coaching staff, but I think as long as the communication is there and both guys know, um, what's happening and those things can change, but there's nothing wrong with, with a little competition, especially now. I mean, when I played, I wanted to play 82 games. But that's kind of changing now. So that's not really, most, most teams are having 1A, 1B, or just 1A, 1A, and both guys are playing, and, and, you know, if a guy gets rolling, maybe that changes a little bit. But I think the big, the most important thing, like I said, is that communication, just so the guys know what the plan is, they know what's expected of them, and, and nothing comes as, as a surprise to them as, it's going to make them frustrated or affect what they're doing
1: yeah you you weren't joking about wanting to play a lot you had a run of 67 65 60 and 67 games played from 15 16 to 18 19 that is unheard of I think they would have like changed you in the basement if you tried to start that many games and in the NHL today it is remarkable how kind of quickly that is flipped one other thing I wanted to talk to you about you know you mentioned it with the, the long run you had in Minnesota obviously starting your career in Edmonton you know you get You're from Canada. You know what it's like playing in markets where where it matters. Do you think sometimes we overstate that? Do we understate that? What is the perception you have? And, you know, I understand every player is going to be different. Some players, it eats them alive. Some players love it. How how much did you feel the kind of quote-unquote pressure of playing in a big market? I mean, Edmonton's the one I'm going to think of first and foremost. But, you know, I I know they care about and love their hockey in Minnesota as well. Go Vikings for you.
3: Oh, it's... (laughs) <laughs> it's not far. It's not far off, or or just the same in many. Now, listen, Toronto is a whole different beast when it comes to to uh, their hockey team and caring about their hockey team. Uh, but it does. You know, it's. I loved it, and it's. There's some guys that don't. Some some guys thrive off of it. Some guys don't want to be a part of that, and that's just that's fine. That's that's a personality thing. That's how you are. Um, it, it is. It's a little different, I would say, in Minnesota versus um, versus being in Canada. People are very, very dialed in in Canada to like, I mean, just about everything. You know, from from <laughs> the neutral zone forecheck to the to the breakout. Like, I mean, they're, they they probably know your whole systems book. And you run into somebody in the mall and they want to talk to you about it. And it's not really what I feel like talking about on an off day. Uh, but I mean it, it, the, the passion there is incredible and I absolutely love my time in Edmonton um, the people there were great you know if you're, if you're just if you show people that you're you're a normal guy and sit down and have a beer with them and and talk um, you know I really appreciate it and and uh, I enjoyed my time there in Minnesota's you know I still I still can't really go out in Minnesota without being recognized and it doesn't help that I'm a six foot six mutant that's that part of it is lumbering around <laughs> yeah um and then they they kind of look at that and then they say they, they, oh that guy kind of looks familiar uh, but people are people are so uh they're so kind and they're and it, it, people there they'll just say you know hey huge fan love watching you play and then kind of leave you alone and, it, and it's nice my kids love it mm. My my little ones don't really understand still my older one loves it um, but I'm kind of rambling here, but yeah, Toronto's, wow. a, Toronto, Toronto's a different ball game, and, and again, it can be, can be a good thing or a bad thing. It kind of depends on on who you are, and some guys thrive and love it, and some guys don't really want to be a part of it.
1: Okay, Devin, you're talking to two fathers who have talked many times this baseball playoffs about Nick Castellanos' son reacting to him hitting homers. How cool is it as a dad when you're in front of your kids and someone comes up to you and is like, hey... You're famous. I'd like to talk to you. Like, I can only imagine what it must feel like. I know you're a professional athlete. Maybe it's old hat to you. But this is like a hobby horse of Ben and is yeah. feeling cool or like a respect, whatever term you well, want to put on it to our kids.
0: There's never going to be any talk back, Obviously. I imagine, in the Dub- Dubnik household when you tell your kids to do <laughs> some chores after they see
3: that. Yeah, well, they still don't do anything after they oh. see that. But, oh. um, <laughs> my, oldest, uh, my oldest, he's 10 now. And uh he's kind of the one that he was around he was old enough when I was playing that he he remembers it all and and uh you know my middle guy he's, he's turning eight in December um, he remembers a little bit he doesn't seem to care as much, uh, but my oldest definitely loves it, uh, especially like he's he feels he feels pretty cool at school you know if i'll go let's all go drop something off, oh, or yeah. volunteer in his class, or whatever, and he's in fifth grade, but even even the last couple of years, you know, the older kids—I think the school the school goes up to eighth grade—you um, know, when the older kids will will say hi to me or something, or say something to me walking down the hallway with him, he just mm-hmm. he can tell his chest chest pops out a little bit. Oh, yeah. He's got a little little swagger to the walk after that. So he he loves it, and it's it's pretty cool. It was nice to for dad to be uh, to be cool for sure.
0: Do you pass down the tall gene? Like, are we trending in a six-foot question, six-foot-six direction for, uh, for boys as well? So,
3: so my oldest is not is not that big right now, and it's hard to tell because he, we started him pretty young uh, in school, so he is he is like one of the youngest kids no. in his class. Um, he's not super heavy. My my middle, my uh, that is turning eight, weighs more than he does, and that's not even anything against. Nate, um, he's just a massive child. So the little, the younger, t- and then the younger two, we just had their, we just had their doctor appointments, and they the youngest is, is like 98 height and weight percentile. Holy cow! So he's gonna be, he's gonna be a monster, and it, it, he's got such a baby face that you don't, you don't even realize it until he's around other kids <laughs> his age because he still just looks like it looks like a baby, and then he realizes he's a head taller than everybody else.
0: Ninety eighth percentile. That's yeah. I mean, so what? So what? Hockey direction? Is that what we're looking at? Oh, if it's height and
1: weight, yeah, I think all, you got to
3: go three, like oh, tackle. All three, it's, well, we're we're living in the states, so that's an option. Mm-hmm. You can go this you can go to football road if you want. We'll see how he goes. He's actually a good little hockey player. Um, all three of them play hockey. Uh, it, it, honestly, you think hockey's intense in Canada? Just come on down to Minnesota, and it's it's multiplied. I know that's hard, hard to wow. wrap your head around, but it is more intense in Minnesota than it was. I grew up in Calgary mostly, and I'm, I don't know if it's changed there, but it is very hockey is, is not so in Minnesota.
0: Yeah. It'd be nice if they, you know, return that franchise back to relevancy at some point. Yeah. Man, we see so many Sunbelt franchises have success, and uh, yeah, they show up for the playoffs. Like, that is a place, Devin. Like, not to toot the Minnesota horn a little bit here, but like, yeah. Living in the hockey mad market that is Toronto, obviously that's number one market that deserves to have some some success here. But yeah, Minnesota, if you're if you're picking through the American markets that has a fervent fan base, it's yeah, it's a, it's a shame that the 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 Wild haven't exactly figured it out.
3: No, it is it, it is too bad, and that's we were actually talking about that yesterday um, on commercials, just in between. Uh, you know, Minnesota's not far off in Toronto of, of deserving. Uh, some playoff success, you know it's been a long time i was I was the last goalie to win a to win a playoff series there It feels Yikes. like a long time ago because 'cause we're coming on ten years mm-hmm. um, it, and they deserve it they're like the fans are so they're so passionate um you know it's a great and they're and they're always you know they're always good mm-hmm. i thought i thought Kirill was gonna was gonna make a big change there because you know when I was there. Come playoff time, we kind of got snake bitten a little bit. We didn't really have a game breaker. And with Kaprizov, I thought that was going to be a, a change because he is a game breaker. And I mean, it still might be, but I mean, they kind of ran into it. Yeah, that's, a, that's a tough too. one. Like, it's, it's hard. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. maybe try to, to, to uh, match up against the team that doesn't have Jake Ottinger. Yeah, my, my also,
1: wrong, wrong city the to take. Thing is Look at the West. Well, yeah. hold on, hold on. Wrong city to bring that to is the Leafs got snuffed out by the eventual cup finalists for, oh, I don't know, a thousand years in a row. So I understand, but not a ton yeah. kind of sympathy up here, Devin. Just got to be honest with you. Yeah, no, no I, fair, fair, <laughs>
3: enough, fair enough. It, it's such a hard I mean, there's just you look around. Every team that makes the playoffs, is, I mean, look at like Seattle took out Colorado, and, and I mean, look at the West, look at the East. You finish, you finish top three in your division. You're, you're playing another team that's that you could you could play a hundred best of sevens against, and it might be fifty fifty. Like it's just so hard to win.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been extra hard for the Leafs, though. Boy, finally uh, yeah, won well, a round, though. <laughs>
3: I I said last I said last year I was really pushing last year I said if they can just win in the first round they're going to go all the way, and they won the first round. How'd that work? And out? I was like, yes, they're going all the way, <laughs> and then they didn't win another game. No, yep. yeah, that was yeah. I remember.
0: Uh, uh, believe me, <laughs> it
1: burned I, I right really in the thought, brain. I
3: really thought that if they, I really thought if they got over that that hump of, of that first kind of like how. Colorado did that's that was where I was going with it. it was like Colorado couldn't get past the second round couldn't get past the second round I'm like they can just get past the second round they'll do it and they did it and I was thinking kind of the same thing for the Leafs that they could just get past it and then stop talking about it it's gone everyone <laughs> yes. talks about their first round losses it's gone you did it I know how many different they're gonna, they're gonna take off but
0: how many different comparisons are we going to make? Like Taves and Kane? No, that wasn't it. Oh, they're the, the Capitals and like stubbing their toes so often in the postseason they're going to break through. Oh, the Avalanche? No, nah, it's, uh, I don't know. They're their own animal. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this is the year. Uh, who knows? Devin, this was this was awesome. Thanks so much for
3: doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Uh, Devin Dubnik, former NHL goalie, NHL network analyst on uh, NHL Now, Sportsnet 1 for Two six PM, he's a mutant. I can say that because he said it.
1: That needed like the old school podcast. I didn't think any any one block would be more disjointed than when I was talking about sea tars at six oh three in the morning. But somehow that was, and yeah. I loved every second of it. It needed the like. This is a free flowing conversation. That we'll touch on many different topics. <laughs> it's like that's what you just needed for that. We talked to him about his child, yeah. the percentile of height and weight of yeah. his kid, the Minnesota Vikings for reasons. Yeah. I loved it though. Would, yeah. would do again. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. He also touched on evaluating goaltending and yeah, oh, yeah. he it, said some things, but it sounded <laughs> a lot like, yeah, stop the puck. You yeah. Know, he that, stops the puck. Let real me tell good. you, yeah, if you stop the puck, good at that position. <laughs> <laughs> well, so far so good for Joseph Wally's Stop the Puck. Uh, we'll see if he can stop it against the Dallas Stars tonight. Our, we uh we'll be back tomorrow. This has been the fan morning show. Fan and Brian Gunning, sports 959 fan. Good morning. Good morning.